The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 10.45 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. It is, it is such a pleasure and a, and a, and a joy to, to spend Christmas with you. Um, I think it, it is interesting that it's controversial to have a, a service on Christmas Day. I did not know that was a thing until this year. People were asking me, are you holding a service on, on Christmas? And I said, last I checked, the church has always held services when, when Christmas fell on a Sunday. I don't remember Spurgeon or Edwards or Luther or anybody ever canceling the Lord's Day services because it happened to fall on Christmas. In fact, this is the reason for Christmas. This is it. What you're doing right, this is what it's all about. The presence this morning, that's just, the, that's just some of the icing. This is the real deal. This is the substance. The substance of Christmas is Christ and to come and worship and adore him. So what a, what a privilege it is to come together this morning. And you know what? I, I promise you this. When you leave today, your heart will be full because that's what happens when you set your gaze on Christ, when you worship Christ your heart is full. And when you go and, and open presents this afternoon or go on a walk or, or do what it is that you do as a family, you are going to have so much more joy than you normally do on a regular Christmas. We might ha- start having a Christmas Day service every year, even when it doesn't fall on Sundays. Um, last night, I went through the story of Christmas with you. And what I want to do this morning with you is go through the theology of Christmas, the theology of Christmas. So I hope you brought a Bible, and I invite you to turn to John chapter 1, to John chapter 1, and I want to go through the theology of Christmas. What is, what is Christmas really all about in terms of what we believe as, as Christians? And I want to begin with verse 1. This is called the prologue of John's gospel, verses 1 to 18. This is really a summary statement that the apostle John gives to everything that's going to follow throughout the gospel of John. And he says this, these famous words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So John starts with the divine. John starts with theos, with deity. And the reason why, he's, why he does this is because John is writing a gospel so that the world might believe. Matthew wrote his gospel primarily to the Jew. So Matthew begins, if you read Matthew chapter 1, where does he begin the genealogy? Abraham, then David. It's for the Jew. Mark writes his gospel for the Romans. So he doesn't really have any of the, the background. He just gets right to it. Luke writes his gospel for the Greeks. The Greeks were thinking men. Luke begins his genealogy with who? Adam. John writes his gospel for the world, and so he doesn't start by explaining how a man is truly God. He starts by explaining how God is truly man, 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is interesting that he uses this, this word, logos, word, to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He is the logos. This is a, a word that was uh, originated about 500 years uh, before Christ by a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. And, and the word means the reason or organizational principle uh, behind everything. It's what, it, it, it's what organizes things. And the Greeks looked at the world, and they said there has to be an organizing principle behind what we see, because what we see is order. We see 24-hour days. We see four seasons in the year. We see day and night. We see uh, spring and harvest. There's order to what we see. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Now, what the Greeks said is that order is this impersonal idea of the logos, this, this rationality that's behind the, the order of the universe. And John takes that idea and he says, let me tell you something, that, that logos has a name. That logos is a person and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the word. He is this, this spoken out word. Um, John 19, 13, when Jesus comes back, you remember John says, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Now, if you look back at verse one, look what John says about the word. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the arche, that means the, the origin of origins. This is, this is before creation. This is going all the way back, going all the way back to uh, before time even began. Right then was the word. And he says, the word was with God. So there you have the delineation. The word is distinct from God the Father. There's a distinction here. And then he says, and the word was God. So there's distinction, there's separateness, but there's also unity. The Word is God. And this right here is the foundation of the Christian faith. This is the identity of Jesus. This is why Christmas matters. This is why what we're doing today matters, is because He is God. The Word was God. Now, this phrase, I want you to look at this, this last phrase in, in verse 1, the Word was God. John uses the article the in front of the word word, but he doesn't use the article in front of the word God. And if you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness at your door, a Jehovah's Witness doesn't believe in what? The deity of Christ. They do not believe in the deity of Christ. And what they will do is they will open up to this verse and they will say, did you know that when John wrote John 1, 1, he didn't put the word the in front of God. He only put it in front of the word. And they'll say, you see, what John was really teaching you is this, is that Jesus is a God. He's a God. He's of the substance of God. He's a type of God, but he's not the God. Well, that's a failure to understand the, the Greek syntax and context. In the Greek language, when you use a predicate nominative, go back to your high school English class. You remember what a predicate nominative is? You have a subject noun, 
Then you have a linking verb, right? Or, or a, um, um, a, a predicate verb. And then you have the subject that the noun is. This is that. When you have the article in front of the subject, that article also applies to the predicate nominative, okay? So if somebody's, if, if I just lost you there, that's fine. If, you, if you're an eighth grade uh, English grammar teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the point being is when you use the Greek language, you don't need to put the article in front of God because it's implied because it's already in front of the subject. Get it? Okay. So John is saying, though, that, that Jesus, this word, this logos, is God. He's God. And then look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. This is a restatement of what we just saw in verse 1 in case we didn't understand uh, what he said. And then he says this, not only is he God, but he, he develops this next idea that he is the life, that he is life. He says, all things were made through him. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So that's a fancy way of saying that everything that's ever been created was created through the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So if you think about it like this, God the Father is the designer, the architect of creation. Jesus Christ is the agent. He's the builder of creation. And the Holy Spirit is the interior designer. The Holy Spirit, remember, was hovering over the waters, and the Holy Spirit brings order to the creation. So the Son of God is this, this agent of creation that everything is created by him and through him. And what a staggering thought that is. That everything that has ever existed was created through the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about wealthy people and what quantifies wealth. If you're a billionaire, maybe you own your own island. Maybe you have several estates and you have a penthouse in New York City and in uh, an estate in Colorado and a, and a house in Beverly Hills, you own, some, you own some real estate. Think about what Jesus Christ owns. He owns the cosmos. Have you seen the pictures coming out of the, the James Webb telescope? Where they took, you know, the Hubble picture that they took of all the galaxies and then James Webb came and you can see with even more detail. And it's that picture where every single lot of light in the picture isn't a star, it's a galaxy, a galaxy with billions of stars in it. NASA has said that there's two trillion galaxies, two trillion galaxies, and Jesus Christ is the agent of creation of them all. He is the one by whom they were all created. He is the life. Paul says this, Colossians 1:17, great verse. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And that also includes each one of us. That you were created by God. 
The psalmist says, Psalm 139, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul, my soul knows it very well. Jesus is the one who brought life to this world. Each and every life owes its debt to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really staggering to think about. Just the eight billion people on this planet, each and every one of them created by God and for God. He is the life. Look at verse four. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus is not just the author of physical life. He is also the author of spiritual life. When Adam and Eve sinned, man was spiritually died. Adam and Eve spiritually died. God said, the day that you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. Uh, They didn't die physically that day. They died physically years later, but they died spiritually. And so man is born spiritually dead. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, that we are born spiritually dead dead. Each of us is in need of life. And that's why I remember in in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus's response to Nicodemus was? He said, what you need is a new life. Which you can't just, this is what is so distinct about Christianity. This is what we were talking about with the baptism, is that it's not just you clean up your act and you start doing new stuff. That's what every other religion says. Hey, you want a new program for 2023? What you do is you just start reading the the Quran and you you start keeping the five pillars and all these things. This is a new program for your life. Let's get with it. That's what every other religion says. But Christianity says that that's, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. What you need actually is a new life. A new life has to be given to you. And that's what Jesus said to to Nicodemus, he said, you have to be born again. You, have to, you, you need a new, this new component to you that you don't have, this new life. And Nicodemus says, man, I don't get that. You're saying I have to go back into my mother's womb and, and, and be born again? How does that happen? And Jesus said, man, you're the teacher of Israel? And you don't get this? You know why he said that? is because the prophet Ezekiel had already taught that. Prophet Jeremiah had already taught that, that in the new covenant, that each and every believer receives what? A new heart. A heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. That's why Jesus said that to Nicodemus. He was like, man, haven't you read the prophets? I'm not saying anything new here. What I'm telling you is what the prophets have, have already taught, that, that true religion is always a religion of new life and a new heart. Wow. I mean, Nicodemus, that blew him away. How does that even happen? Jesus says it happens by the Spirit. He says you must be, you must be born of, of water and the Spirit. God has to do this work in your life. Well, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring this new life to you. And the way he did it is, is, is by this. Jesus lived a perfect life. Perfect not one sin. When he appeared before Pilate, 
And, and Pilate, at the trial, Pilate, you remember he comes out to the Jews. He says, I can't find anything wrong with this man. He said, nothing wrong. Jesus, by his own declaration, said, I honor God. He never sinned. He, was, he lived a righteous life. And then he laid down his life on the cross for you. One perfect life given for you as a sacrifice. His death is your death. His life then is your life. That's the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection is the proof that you will be raised someday in a resurrection body, but it's also the proof that you have this new life now, this resurrection life now. When you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you say, Lord, I truly repent of my sins, and I trust you, that you are Lord, that you are Savior, the moment that that happens, that resurrection life is given to you. A new heart, a new start, The old has passed away and the new has come. So maybe you're here this morning and you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, I've really flubbed it up. And we all have. And we'll flub it up again tomorrow. What you need is this new life. You need to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need you. Lord, I know I need you and I need this new life and Paul says, when that happens, you know what happens? This is, what's hard, this is the hard part, is the old you dies. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives through me. So now, this new life is Christ's life. You now, with Christ's resurrection life, live a life that's dedicated to him. And you live that life with his resurrection power. Isn't that amazing? That is, that is what Christ came to bring in him was life. That's, what, that's why we're here on Christmas Day. is because your life has been touched by the carpenter and you've been given life. And we owe it all to him. And he says that this life was the light of men. Now in the Bible, light refers to two things. Always two things. One, it refers to understanding. It refers to a cognitive, mental understanding of reality. Uh, it's, it's not just Christianity and Judaism that understands light like that. Everybody understands light like that. That it, it refers to knowledge. Um, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You need light to have knowledge, uh, to have enlightenment. You hear that word light. Uh, enlightenment is a new knowledge. It's, it's a, a, a period of history of new discoveries, new ideas. It's light. Second, light refers to righteousness, to moral purity. Light is holiness. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So Jesus is the light. He is the light of men. He is the only light of men. He is the only way that you can understand the world. He's the only way that you can understand yourself. 
He's the only way that you can understand God. He's the only way that you can understand the Scriptures, because all the Scriptures are about Him. He's the only way, then, that you can have righteousness, that His righteousness becomes your righteousness. He's the only way that you can have holiness. He's the only way that you can have purity. He's the only way that you can have light. And, and, and what that means is until you come to Christ, I don't care how rich you are, what college degrees you have, uh, if you have a PhD after your name, until you come to Christ, you are in darkness. You, ne- you need to realize that. When you, when you talk to somebody and they reject the Lord, they are not in the light. There is a delineation here. There is a demarcation. There is a line in the sand. And until you come to Christ, you are in the darkness Jesus said, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Until you follow Christ, you are in the dark. A couple of weeks ago, I told you the story about doing the, the land nav thing in the dark, and you know, you're stumbling and, 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 and falling all around. You don't know where you're going, and that's the way that most people live their life, outside of the light of Christ. Jesus said, John 12, 35, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And that's the experience of most people. They don't know where they're going. They're just trying to figure it out by what they like the most, what they love the most, what brings them the most pleasure, and they're just taking stabs in the dark. That's how important Jesus is, is that without Christ, you are in darkness. Now, verse 6 It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And what John is he referring to? John the Baptist. John the Apostle, so the John who's writing this, was previously a disciple of John the Baptist. So John cares quite a bit about the role of John the the Baptist, the importance of John the Baptist. And look what he says about John the Baptist. He says, Uh, This man was sent from God, and what's his purpose? Verse 7, he came as a witness. He, He came to bear testimony. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John the Baptist, as important as he is, Jesus said he's the the greatest man to be born uh, of women up to this point. He said he was not the light, but John came to bear witness about the light. Then he says, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, or the world did not comprehend him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. People debate whether that's talking about the Jew or talking about just coming down to humanity. But I want you to see verse 12. 12, and and through 13 are the benefits of what Christ accomplished for us. So stay with me right here. He says, but to all who did receive him, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a very important 
statement that John makes. And this is, this is where I want to close this morning. This is, this is the new life. This is what Jesus offers you. He says, if you receive him, if you believe in his name, that he is who John says, that he is God, that he is the word, that he is the agent of creation, that he is the light, that he is the life. If you believe those things truly, he says that you have the right to become children of God. See, not everybody's a child of God. I don't care how many liberal preachers say that. It doesn't make it true. Not everybody is a child of God. You have to be, you become a child of God one of two ways. You're either adopted into the family of God or you're born again. Now for the Christian, both happen. You're adopted into God's family, but you're also born again into God's family. You're also given to that, that new life. The adoption is a legal status that you become a legal child of God. The, the born againness is that God puts his life in you. And that's what he's talking about right here. He's talking about that God actually puts this new life into you. He says, who were born. Look at verse 13. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you're born again of God. Verse 13. Look very carefully at this verse. This verse is profoundly difficult to understand. You see, what, what John is teaching is a principle called predestination, irresistible grace. You see, John was a, a predestinarian before the, the Scott Calvinists were over, over in uh, Scotland and, and Wales. What he's saying is, let's, look at this, he's saying that you're born again, not by what you do. He says, not of blood, it doesn't matter what your lineage is. It doesn't matter who your parents are. You know, you look at the royal fam family and you're born of the royal family by virtue of the fact that your mother or father is the king and the queen, right? That you're born, that's, the, that's your bloodline. That's how you get it. He says, no, it's not of your bloodline. And he says, nor is it of the flesh. In other words, you can't bring this about by working, you can't work with your flesh to bring this about. He says, nor is it of the will of man, nor is it of your own free will that you can be born again. It's of God. It's a supernatural birth. You're born supernaturally that God brings this about. And so Christianity is a supernatural religion. It, it's something that, that God does. Now, people ask me, well, why do you ask people to, to receive Christ and to be born again, right? Doesn't he just say, do all who, verse 12, to all who receive him, who believe in his name? Look, I, I, I give the imperative. You must believe. You must receive Christ in order to be saved. But I know that all who do receive Christ, all who believe, are born in what way? of God. God does the work in you. So, it, so it's, you know, Spurgeon said, if I, if I knew who the elect were and they had an E painted on their back, I would only preach to them. But I don't know who they are, so I preach to everybody. So, the, so don't worry about the supernatural component right now. Just worry. Do you actually trust Christ? Do you actually believe in him? Have you actually received him? And if you do, then you know that you are a child of God. But you know that it's certain then 
because it's from above. It's from above. And just, just one last thing. If salvation were completely of your will, if you were born again by your will, then it would be something that you could lose. Because I change my mind all the time. I change my mind every day about things. But if salvation is from God, and you're born again from God, and he's put this new life, then it's going to be forever. And that's the assurance of, that we have of salvation, that if you are truly born again, can you be unborn again? No, you cannot. So that's, that's who Jesus is. That's, that's why he came. He came to reveal the Father to us, but he came that we might have life, that we might have light. And the imperative is, is that we trust him, that we believe in his name. That's the most important decision that you could ever make on Christmas is, is come face to face with Christ and ask yourself, do I truly trust him? Have I truly received him? Have I truly believed in his name? Amen. That's the, that's the great message of Christmas. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come to you and we do worship you. We do adore you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the life that through you creation was made, that through you we have this new life in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought the light, that we can understand the world, that we can understand ourselves, that we can understand God, that we can understand the way in which we are to live. And we thank you, Lord, for this born-again life that's not from blood or of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God, that we are supernaturally born again. I pray, Lord, for those here this morning who might know all the intellectual truths about Christianity, but have never been born again. I pray, Lord, that you would come down into their soul and give them this new life. Open their eyes that they may see that you are the word of God. Truly man, truly God. We praise you, Lord. Yes, all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.